Our scripture today is Genesis 48, verses 1 through 22. Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give you this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours. In the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned unto the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Paddan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan while we were still on the way, a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, bring them to me so that I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again and now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right towards Israel's left hand and Manasseh on his left toward Israel's right hand and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger, and crossed it in his arms. He put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God be whom, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abram and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, no, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know my son, I know. He too will become a people and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, in your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, I am about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you I give one more ridge of land than to your brothers, the ridge I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So on my trip to the Holy Land last year, our tour group of pastors joined a Jewish family who hosted us for a Shabbat, or Sabbath in English, meal in their home. Now, besides being amazed at how this family was able to host more than 30 people in this home, we a feast, actually, in their, in their tiny city of uh, condo. 
we were impressed by this Shabbat liturgy that carried on through the different courses of the meal. Through the evening, the father would stand up between a course and ask his one of his children to stand, and he'd cup their cheeks, look them in the eye, and proclaim a blessing over them. He would say something to his son. He would say something like, may God bless you like Ephraim and Manasseh. And to the girls, he would say, may God bless you like Rachel and Rebecca and Leah and Sarah. Often these words would be accompanied by further blessings to say to the child that they are seen, that they are known, and that they are loved, and that they are safe. And the blessing would conclude with the blessing from Numbers 6, known as the ironic blessing, not the ironic, the ironic blessing, that we often use here at WCF. These words of blessing were proclaimed after them. The father would kiss them on the forehead, they would sit down, and we'd continue on with the meal. The blessing was simple, but was meaningful and full of tenderness and love. When our past, group of pastors left and we hopped on the bus, we were taken by this, what we had witnessed that night. We said, what, what if we would, we'd never see this kind of thing happen in our homes, in our, in our churches. And we considered the impact on the next generation for our children to hear these blessings proclaimed over them every Sabbath meal, at every holiday. What a difference, what difference would it make to our next generation to hear words of blessing proclaimed regularly over their lives? Our words have power, power to bless and power to curse. And we, as we've been learning in this series, and uh, as Neil reminded us earlier in the service, script, God, this blessing in scripture is about relationship. It's about God's desire to unleash fruitfulness and multiplication in all of creation through a particular group of human beings that he has chosen. Now, and this, ultimately is, this ultimate blessing is revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, as we learned last Sunday. As God proclaims blessing on Adam and Eve at the beginning, he proclaims blessing upon Abraham and on Jesus this through line is how God is calling out the potential of creation of every single human being. Today, we're going to look at how we translate this grand story of God's blessing in creation to the various kinds of relationships that we have in our lives. So we're going to walk through this text uh, and today looking at a few things, some observations, some situations, and some proclamations. All right, observations, situations, and proclamations. So in Genesis chapter 48, we get a glimpse of a parent-child relationship. Jacob, also known as Israel, that's why you see his name uh, inter uh, changed throughout that chapter. Jacob is nearing the end of his life. And one tradition set by his grandfather Abraham and also his father Isaac was to, at the end of your life, to pass on blessing to his sons. And in this case, Jacob is passing on blessing at the end of his life to his 12 sons, that would eventually, whose descendants would eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, because there are a lot of names to get through here, allow me a few moments to just walk through this. But Genesis 48 focuses on Joseph, one of, not the oldest son of Jacob, but it focuses on Jacob, uh, Joseph and his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Take a, it's going to go up on the screen, and there's a lot to read, but I won't reread everything. But there's a number of traditions that, that 
would have been expected, but don't take place here. First, Jacob, he doesn't begin by calling the eldest son, Reuben, to bless him. But he instead calls Joseph, who is the 11th son, to, to apparently bless him. But instead of blessing Joseph, Jacob, what Jacob does is essentially legally adopt Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And he pronounces the firstborn and secondborn blessing upon Joseph's sons, so basically his grandsons. That these blessings would be typically reserved for Reuben and Simeon, who are the two oldest sons of Jacob. So when Joseph brings his sons before grandpa, right, and he puts them on their lap, uh, Joseph is trying to, he positions Manasseh on Jacob's right side, because the right side is a hand of authority that the eldest would get, and he puts Ephraim on the left side. But what does Jacob do? He, after confirming the identities of his two grandsons, he crosses his hands and he blesses Ephraim with the eldest son blessing. And part of this blessing involves, as you, if you read the text of the blessing, it involves declaring a new storyline for these grandsons. Joseph's sons were born in Egypt. They were born in privilege because Joseph, he, he had moved up in Pharaoh's uh, administration. He grew up, they grew up in privilege, but they also grew up under Egypt's idols, under Egypt's ideologies, with Egypt's education and wealth and values. But here, Jacob's blessing upon them proclaims God's the God of God's story over them, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and his God, the God of Jacob, as their true God, and that God would be their shepherd to care for them, not the Egyptian empire. In this blessing of Joseph's sons, Jacob essentially proclaims this new storyline for them to live by. And in this blessing, his grandsons, in the blessing of his grandsons Ephraim and Manasseh, Jacob continues this line of God's unexpected blessings in four generations that do not go to the firstborn sons as expected. You see, Jacob's father, Isaac, is actually blessed over his half, elder half-brother, Ishmael. And Jacob himself is the younger twin, but he, gets, he actually cunningly and deceitfully <laughs> takes the blessing from his older brother, Esau. And here, Joseph is blessed over Reuben, and Ephraim is blessed over Manasseh. Why all this detail? Is that God's blessings overturn all of our human expectations, all of our traditions of inheritance, of material blessing, and birth order, and even due to empire. God's blessings overturn all of our expectations. Now, if you continue reading the blessings in the next chapter, chapter 49, we didn't have time to read it. Basically, Jacob is blessing each child, beginning with Reuben. And you'll find a lot of the words are positive, but they're actually not that positive as you would think. And you're thinking like, wow, I would not want to hear that word from my dad. (laughs) But you want to keep in mind that these words are poetic in the original Hebrew, and they use a lot of imagery. And these blessings aren't the kind of overflowing positive ones that you might expect. However, we're just going to illustrate a couple of them. To Reuben, Jacob affirms Reuben's strength and honor. But he also notes that Reuben has forfeited this blessing of the oldest son because of his inappropriate behavior with 
Jacob, his father's servant wife. You see, what happened is Reuben tried to assume the authority as the oldest son in blessing, using his strength, using his position over his brothers with that action. But what happens is he actually loses the blessing as a result. The next two sons, Simeon and Levi, Jacob's words are an indictment, actually, on their violent disposition. What happened for them? They, in their anger and vengeance for what the men of Shechem did to their sister Dina, they went and massacred a whole bunch of men of Shechem. And Jacob's words were predicting this scattering of their descendants so that their strength directed in an unhelpful way or violent way would, not, would, would, not be, dis, would be dissipated and would not prevent the nation of Israel from further destruction. That was that kind of blessing. But to Judah and Joseph, I'm just highlighting a couple of them, Jacob gives the longest and most generous blessings, hinting at the importance of their descendants in God's plan to bless all of creation. You see, from Judah's line, his descendants, comes the great King David, but also Jesus. And for uh, Joseph, his younger son Ephraim receives Jacob's firstborn blessing. And this, his descendants go on to become one of the greatest tribes of Israel. In fact, Joshua lead, comes from the uh, tribe of Ephraim and leads the people of Israel into the promised land. Now, again, I've gone through a lot of names. There's a lot of history and context to catch up on. But the whole point of all this is to make a few observations about these blessings that Jacob proclaims. Number one, there is perception. Jacob, Jacob's words reveal a deep attentiveness to each individual, to each of his sons and their character. And though Jacob, in his old age, is physically blind, he has spiritual insight. And he sees each one of them as they are, and he knows each of their strengths and weaknesses. And what does he do with that perception? He projects a potential. His blessing projects a potential future based on this attentive knowing of each child. And for most of the blessings, they are positive and generous. And whether some blessings seem a little negative or more serious, he, he, frame, he names how some of their character strengths might actually become dangerous threats to their future. And the future of God's plan to bless the world through the 12 tribes of Israel. Thirdly, there's a presence. These, this blessing comes in the immediate uh, physical presence of the other. Though this is an ancient practice, I think there is something about being blessed before the one who is giving the blessing. There is a gravity and there is a mysterious element imparted in the face-to-face, person-to-person contact that is appropriate to the nature of this kind of blessing. That's why we proclaim blessings over our children every Sunday. There is something going on beyond the words. And that's why we proclaim the blessing at the end of the service, because something is going on in the presence of one another. And ultimately, lastly, this blessing is proclaimed. There are words proclaimed over the other. And yes, we can bless others with well wishes and thoughts and prayers, but there is power of blessing that comes from these words being proclaimed over someone else receiving the blessing. So as we think about how to leverage the power of our words to bless others and not to curse others, consider this perception. 
this attentive knowing of the other and projecting a po the potential based on that knowing that maybe that individual might not see at the time and how we can speak these words in the presence of the other to really, truly bless them. So, kind of talked about some observations about blessings. This is not like, it's, not, it's from the Bible, but it's not the Bible. It's, it's a way, these are some descriptions of how we might bless. So, what does this kind of blessing look like in our day? Well, first of all, let me say, you don't have to be dying to bless other people. Blessings can be conveyed in a number of situations. Now, we celebrate our most recently married couple. Yay, Allison Dean. <laughs> and one particular meaningful aspect or element in their wedding celebration involved the seven Jewish blessings known as the Shiva Berchot. These seven blessings proclaim God's storyline of creation blessing, and they're bestowed upon a newly married couple to convey the joy and blessing of God to the world. Including this blessing in, in their ceremony is not just connecting to some long-standing tradition, but it's connecting the marriage to the storyline of God's desire to bless the world through humanity and how God has blessed humans to be a blessing to the world. And this blessing of fruitfulness and multiplication is expressed in an important way through the human family when a couple is married. That's one area in marriages. And different cultures also have a, a blessing baked into their coming-of-age traditions, whether it's the Sweet Sixteen in America or the Quinceanera for Latin American cultures when girls turn 15, or when our Jewish friends have bar mitzvahs for the boys or bat mitzvahs for the girls when they turn 13. You know, while these events have often turned into lavish parties and gift-giving, they have roots in this idea of a parent blessing their child as they step into adulthood. Now, my Chinese tradition, I don't think we have one that I'm aware of, but Julie and I felt that it was, this was important of blessing our children. So we marked a transition for our children with a memorable occasion. We invited friends and family, to, particularly those who have known our children over the years growing up, and to, we gathered for a meal, and most importantly, we, we asked people not to give gifts, but to share words of affirmations of what they would see in our children as they moved forward. We, for Ashley, we did it when she turned 16. For Evan, we did it when he turned 18. And if you're wondering why we did it at different ages, it's not because of the age or because of the maturity. It's simply because of logistics <laughs> based on where we would, uh, where, of gathering people, whether between Vancouver and Washington, D.C., now, while each of them received gifts and cards, most precious to us, and hopefully to them, would be these words of affirmation that they received and that they could hold on to and recall and carry forward into adulthood. These kinds of celebrations are the big moments we've been talking about, marriages, transitions. But Julie and I have also tried to uh, apply this to the day-to-day -day life. We've had to learn how to refrain from affirming our children's accomplishments. I mean, we do that, but not only that. We wanted to also affirm character traits and the efforts that they are taking that we observe in their lives. So rather than saying, good job, I'm, way, to, way to get an A, or whatever it is that we, we had to learn how to say, 
good effort, or, or I see how hard you worked on that, and I'm proud of you. Because, and we use these phrases to notice their determination, to notice their perseverance. Because those qualities are what build character and the kind of human beings that reflect God's image. It's not your stuff. It's not your accomplishments. And we're by no means perfect at it. But we recognize that as parents, we often are prone to calling out the negative traits more than the positive ones. We express our frustration a lot more than give words of blessing and affirmation that our children are seen and known. Now, you may be sitting here and you're wondering, okay, we're talking a lot about family relationships, husband, wives, children, parents. I'm not married. I don't have children. How do blessings work in the rest of our lives? Well, remember our first message in the series is that blessings and curses say something about what we think about the value of a relationship. So any relationship that we have is an opportunity to bless someone else. So from our encounters with strangers on the street, to acquaintances, to the people that we work with and the people that work for us, to husband-wife relationships, every relationship we have in this life is an opportunity to bless someone else. Rather than to curse them with outright curses or to curse them with our silence. Now in some ways, relationships with strangers may be the easiest way of blessing someone else. It's like really low-hanging fruit because we likely will never see them again. (laughs) But simply eye contact and smile, and a smile, may be the simplest form of nonverbal blessing that we can give. Because in doing so, what are we doing? We're saying, I see you. I notice you. And in a plugged-in, shut-out world with our earbuds on and our devices in front of our eyes, people are walking down the street like this all the time, right? It's perhaps a simple smile and an and a eye contact is, is all it takes to bless someone else, to say that they are seen. Now, I understand we need to have some wisdom. We need to have capacity for others. But especially for those who are most unseen in our world, the unhoused, those struggling with mental illness, even service workers, a kind smile and a kind word of appreciation might be the simplest blessing that we can offer in an easy way. Colossians 4, 6 says this. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be filled always with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We can live that out simply in the way we move about in the world. Now, if you're in work situations, if you oversee a team or other employees, or even if you don't, in the way you... Treat your supervisor. Consider ways to notice efforts and take the time to acknowledge them. Not just accomplishments, not just their contributions, but encourage people in the way that they may add value to the team and their shared goals simply in their humanity. Even more, encourage people in the ways that help them know that they are seen and that they are valued. See, in a world where office drama is often toxic, and where words can be used to increase competition and backbiting, what if Jesus' followers used our words to affirm the value of our fellow employees, affirm the positive traits, not to get something back from someone in the future, but simply to bless them because they are made in the image of God? 
Come on, it's easy for us to criticize, right? It's e but it takes time and effort and intentionality to find ways to affirm and encourage others. But the impact is lasting. And as Jesus followers, we don't use blessing to get something from someone else or to get future payback, but simply because they are made in the image of God and they have something to offer in the world. That's what a blessing says. Now, we don't have to use religious language unless we think it is appropriate for the relationship. Because I understand you don't say, well, Jesus, like to your supervisor, you're working on an Excel spreadsheet, right? But just use, ask God for wisdom and how you can affirm that this person is seen and their efforts are noticed. Sometimes all people need to know is that they are seen and that someone notices them, especially if it's a specific word of affirmation. Because all we're doing is what God does for us. God sees us. God notices us. And God calls out in us what God desires for us to bless in others around us. There's one more aspect to this, uh, the power of words in relationships. Words of blessing not only encourage others in their God-given value. You see, words of blessing actually change us. Again, neuroscience confirms what ancient truths have told us for centuries and millennia. Uh, Newberg and Waldman, they're a neuroscientist and a communications expert, wrote in their book, Words Can Change Your Brain, saying this. A single word has the power to influence the expression of genes that regulate physical and emotional stress. Goes on, they go on to say some further things, but what, what they're trying to say is that we, when we use positive words more than negative words, the language centers in our brain begin connecting with the motivational parts of our brain that move us into action. So when we apply this to the idea of blessings and curses, when we proclaim blessings over others, we are allowing God's storyline of blessing creation to bless us in the process and to change us in the process. All to say, the power of our words in blessing others changes others. And it changes us in the process. And while neuroscience research may emphasize the benefits of positive thinking to ourselves, when we said in the grand story of God's blessing for all of creation in Christ, we can use our words to remind others of God's spirit at work in every human being. Because they are made in the image of God, and because no human life is disposable, and because no human life is simply a cog in the wheel of capitalism, our words of blessing have the power to change the storylines of people's lives, especially when we remind them of their innate value in the eyes of God. Even more in doing so, we actually become more like the people that God has created us to be. We become more like Christ in this other-centered, sacrificial love for others. Not because of anything that we get back. This invitation for us to bless others isn't just so that we can be good, positive human beings in the world. I mean, it does make us that, but that's not the point. It's what God has created all of humanity for. To propel and unleash fruitfulness and multiplication in the world. And we will never have that capacity to bless others in this way if we are disconnected from the author 
of this storyline. So will you hear God's blessing over you? Will you receive it? And even more, will you pass it on generously? I think for most of us, including myself, there is a degree of hesitation in sharing generously God's blessing. Think of all the what-ifs. And perhaps, let me encourage you, that is actually the beginning of answering wholeheartedly. Perhaps that is the beginning of the response to God's invitation to each one of us. And may you respond and hold that hesitation before God humbly and respond faithfully to the glory of God.